and I'm Julia, and welcome to Unnecessary Angst. Woo! A very special <laughs> episode. Yes. <laughs> AKA Stop laughing. us being all over the place while we're on technical hiatus. <laughs> but we can't actually do a full month-long hiatus because, like, we'd miss each other too much. So here we are. We have too much to do, too much to catch up on. It's true. It's so, so true. Speaking of which, Julia, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Uh, start of summer. Um, I have my class going on right now, preparing for my internship. Um, got my uh, arm jab a couple weeks ago, so excited to join the world in a few days. <laughs> Rejoin the world in a few days. <laughs> yeah, things are happening. I'm so excited. I'm just excited to go clothes shopping. I know this sounds su- like incredibly superficial, but I really just miss the ritual of going into a store and like looking at stuff. I don't know. <laughs> As someone who has gone into many stores since the pandemic started, I understand. You relate. Thank you. I relate. I haven't been any, no stores, none. I've gone out a couple of times shopping since, but, like, only really since I started getting my vaccines. Um, Like, I needed some new summer clothes. Like, I went to Loft and tried some stuff on in Loft, and I Mm. went to Free People. Which is not a store to really wander around in, because I just am like, this is not my demographic. (laughs) I was going to say, I feel like that's not your style, but good for you. (laughs) But guess what I bought at Free People? What? Overalls. Oh my god, is this the 90s? (laughs) Anyways, clothing stories. Yeah, I'm excited for you to get to go shopping again, too. (laughs) I mean, it's you just can like give me the style little, tips. little things, you know. <laughs> I like haven't bought. I bought some work clothes recently, but like clothes for myself. Um, and like I don't know. I always loved clothes shopping. Like anyone who knows me knows that. <laughs> so it's just like that little thing for me. I'm so excited to do that. Yeah, but otherwise, I'm trying to think. Like otherwise, things are quiet. Getting a car for the summer, doing a car rental, which is very exciting. I have not had my own car in years, so I actually get to go places. I'm so excited for you and me because of this. Yeah, it does benefit you. Um, It does. (laughs) And then, yeah, I'm drinking a blue, I think it's just called a blue margarita. It's with curacao, so it's tequila Mm. curacao lime. And then I didn't add ice because I, I hate I hate ice. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How are you doing? What's up with you? I'm sure your stuff is more interesting. Is it? Is it? Um, life's fine. It's been a little, like, hectic adjusting to everything over the last, um, I don't know, just, like, couple of weeks. Parenting is still a forever challenge, but it's enjoyable. Um, so just making making my way through. Finally transitioned. I know since the last time we talked, I finally transitioned to like my new project pretty much fully. So 
uh, it's been nice to kind of just like take a step back and have other people do the work because like leading Mm -hmm. means that I review things and I provide thought leadership (laughs) and guidance but I don't have to like do the work myself um so it's just a completely different like skill set and one I'm very happy to flex right now because I'm just exhausted of like doing work so that's been going really well at least I think for the last couple of couple of weeks and other than that not too much interesting going on in my life other than my continued uh, book purchasing habit that I've officially put myself on a book ban because it's getting out of hand. So I'm on a book ban until at least I'm my glad. This is you needed that. That I did. I got uh, I got books in the mail today, oh um, <laughs> but this I put. The ban on after I the ordered band. these. Okay. Yeah, because I wanted, um, as you know, I've been, like, collecting the Red Queen books, and I've been, like, going to different Barnes & Nobles in my area looking to get King's Cage and hardback, so I have matching hardbacks for the whole series. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't find it anywhere, so I just ordered King's Cage and Morstorm and hardback off of Thrift Books. And oh. got them on discount slightly. So those came in the mail, and... I could have probably just sent you mine. I don't think I'm ever going to read it again. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. <laughs> it's all good. Not a big not a big deal. Um, and I've been reading The House in the Cerulean Sea, which I'm obsessed with. So good. Uh, <laughs> I've also, it. I've stepped out of my comfort zone for a book club at work. And I've been reading The Vanishing Half by Britt Bennett. Oh, yeah. Yep. Did you read this? No, but that I, that's, like, I think coming up on my to-read list. Yeah, it was, like, one of Did the I top books of 2020. <laughs> you don't remember? Yeah. I think, like, at some point at the start of the pandemic, everyone was reading that book, and I just remember thinking, like, okay. It's really interesting. It's probably a book that a lot of people were reading in, like, June, when all of the, like, racial stuff started. When, like, yeah. the Black Lives Matter started taking up when George Floyd, um was murdered because the whole like premise of this book is you have two light-skinned black twins who one of them like dives into sort of like a black lifestyle and like marries a really black guy has a black daughter and then the other one passes herself off as white and kind of like the different lives that they lead Mm. um so it's really interesting and compelling so far our book club discussion on it is next week so i need to finish it this weekend but it's a really easy read um and then i'm really excited my next sort of like non-fantasy book because you know i don't read a lot of non-fantasy but my next sort of (laughs) non-fantasy book is i'm going to read imposter syndrome by kathy wang which is supposed to be like 1984 feminist satire russian corporate espionage silicon valley i'm just that sounds like my thing i'm throwing out buzzwords here you would like this book i've never even heard of this Mm -hmm. it was my book of the month syndrome book of the month choice yeah so because as we know like my life updates just circle around what books i'm reading (laughs) (laughs) So that's that's kind of where I'm at, and I'm drinking wine. I don't really know what kind it is. <laughs> Just wine. 
period. It had a Spanish name. Uh, it, Rioja? it just said, nope, it just said, it was not a, I, if it was a Rioja, I would know that. A Tempranillo, okay. I would also know. It just, it said on the back, it said like the Spanish name and then it said red wine. And then in the description, they were like, ah, oh, yes, this name means like something without borders. And I was like, oh, okay, sorry. so it's a blend? It's a Spanish red blend. So it's a literal name. It's not the grape. Okay. Correct. It's, yeah, I think it's Got a it. Spanish red blend from California. Interesting. Okay. Cool. It's also the fourth day that the bottle's been opened. So is it great? No. Oh my god. Is it still drinkable? <laughs> it's refrigerated. I did not. Oh my god. It's drinkable though. It's drinkable. It hasn't turned. It's fine. Uh... I know. I know. I stress you out. I'm sorry. Okay, moving on. <laughs> uh, let's I have just... not spend three and a half years in a wine company to end up here with you not refrigerating your open bottles of wine. Listen, how you feel right now about me not refrigerating my open bottle of wine is how I felt about this book that we're going to talk about. Oh, great transition. <laughs> Giving it up for you. <laughs> That's yes. way more sarcastic than I meant to be. I like generally like good <laughs> transition. <laughs> I tried. So we're doing something a little different today um, from our normal, normally scheduled programming mm-hmm. because obviously the first couple of books that we've read have been in series, kind of, uh, and we're not going to do chapter by chapter breakdowns of every book in each series because like then we'd be so committed to each of the series and like that's such a waste of time and we just want to read lots of different books so I think we might have explained this like early early on in an episode but in case you don't know about that which is totally fine uh we're going to be doing like a one episode recap of any sequels to any books that we've read like detailed um and we'll only ever do sort of a detailed breakdown chapter by chapter analysis of the first book in a series. That way we can kind of keep this trend going. So for those who have not been here since the beginning, we don't blame you uh, <laughs> at all. But the first book that we read was The Concealed by Sarah Kleck. So it's a novel in translation, originally from Germany, uh, specifically the part of Germany that my family's originally from, which is why I picked it as our first book, uh, <laughs> from the Lake Constance area. And originally, this the Concealed was meant to be a trilogy. The Lakewood series was meant to be a full trilogy. The sequel, The Revealed, was published in 2016, and there is no idea if there's actually ever going to be a third book and I think we'll kind of get into it as we get through the synopsis and start talking about this book but it doesn't need a third book because the second no, book the vibe I got wrapped it up like she barely had yeah. enough to fill the second book in terms so of short. Plot. it was so short it was a whole hundred pages shorter than the first book which mm-hmm. is absolutely crazy so Our discussion will be fairly quick. We'll go through the synopsis of the story for those who don't want to read the book. And again, we don't blame you 
I don't even think we really wanted to read the book after a couple of chapters. <laughs> but we pushed through. Um, so we'll give a synopsis, chapter by chapter synopsis, pretty quickly and just kind of breeze through that. And then we'll talk about, you know, Julia's original thoughts of what was going to happen in, in the uh, sequel versus what actually happened. Um, my thoughts on reread of this book since I haven't read it since probably like junior year of, yeah, junior or senior year of college. So it's been like five, six years. Um, and then we'll revisit our Hogwarts house sorting for the characters that were in this book compare it against the initial sorting and then come up with an overall MVP for for the book so that's kind of the plan of attack but we can basically just start with the synopsis and go through this very weirdly paced story which I think is probably a fair assessment would you agree Julia pacing on this book was yes something Okay, so, the prologue. We rejoin our main-ish cast of characters, Evelyn, Enid, and Colin, on, and I think Gareth and Irvin are also there, uh, on their way the to- squad. Yeah, this, <laughs> the Order <laughs> Squad. Uh, on their yeah. way to Avalon to rescue Jared from Morgana, where she has presumably taken him. Again, this happens after the book starts. So we're getting kind of almost like a Twilight vibe with, like, how this prologue is being used, except not really. Yeah. So chapter one, we get confirmation that the Order has had Ruth's mom killed, but not before Morgana got details and orchestrated the Combrey's death, making Karen paranoid and causing her to murder Evelyn's family. The Order provides more details about Morgana's magic style and how it differs from Jared's. They ruminate on Morgana's plan, and Evelyn is determined to speak with Ruth to sort everything out. Then in Chapter 2, they meet up with Ruth, and she gives them lots of information about the prophecy, and everyone realizes that they need to go into Avalon to rescue Jared, but of course, naturally, only Evelyn can go because she is the heir to Avalon, given she's Nimue's descendant. Um, so she shares the same bloodline as as Nimue. So they start planning the trip. Ruth reminds Evelyn it is her destiny and blood right to reclaim the magic in Avalon. She also tells her the reason Nimue was able to leave Avalon is because Nimue, her magic, and Avalon are a triangle. So everything will all be okay as long as two stay connected. So either she can stay connected to her magic and Avalon will just kind of be sad, or the magic can stay connected to Avalon and she'll just kind of be sad, but she'll stay alive. Chapter 3, Sally calls and is upset she hasn't really heard from Colin or Evelyn. Then Sally tells her Felix disappeared after he raped a student. Sally and Evelyn think he may be dead, which Evelyn is secretly relieved by. Everyone gets ready for the trip to Avalon, and Ruth tells Evelyn to take the book with her. Karen walks into the room. Evelyn yells at her and punches her in the face. True story. (laughs) And then Colin pulls her back to leave absolutely wild chapter four they get to the gates of avalon and evelyn has all her gear including the dagger that they know can wound morgana as well as the book on nimue's powers 
She goes into the mist that surrounds Avalon and then wanders right back out on the other side, basically. She gets angry, tries again, and the mist feels different the second time, so she pushes forward, and then Colin apparently chases after her because he wants to go save Jared, too. (laughs) Chapter 5. Evelyn, wandering through the fog, has a dream or hallucination about Zara, where Zara convinces her she isn't dead. But Evelyn starts to remember Jared through the fog and realizes something is off. Zara turns into a monster when it realizes Evelyn is onto it, and Evelyn just wanders through some nightmare scenarios. She finally is given a riddle by the mist and solves it correctly, and the mist gives her a warning and she passes through to Avalon. Chapter 6. She spends like a page and a half marveling at the beauty of Avalon and all of the amazingness of all the creatures there. She just kind of wanders through, lost and very unsure of how to find Jared. She overhears some Damnati and realizes that one of them has Felix's voice. Uh, uh, and she kind of gets lost in her guilt for a second. It overtakes her for not reporting him to the cops when she had the chance, but she doesn't feel bad at all that the girl's friend took care of Felix, basically killing him. Uh, and then Evelyn decides to follow the Damnati. Chapter 7, she follows the Donati till they take a break and then watches them throwing a boulder at one and stabbing Felix. She tussles with the remaining ones and is saved by a bargist, bargist, here we go, words that I don't know how to say, (laughs) which looks at her, then bounds away while she faints. That night, she sets up her tent and reads all the bestiary entries in the book. Bestiary entries, I like, don't know how to speak today. The next morning, she keeps trekking through, running across some skittish nymphs. She gets dehydrated towards the top of the mountain, and one of the nymphs shows her a hidden cave leading to a lake. She goes into the lake, and Nimue speaks to her while Evelyn gives herself over to the water. Chapter 8. Imbued with Nimue's magic, Evelyn finally feels powerful and complete, and the nymphs all rally around her, calling her mistress. She's able to feel the entire island with this magic, including Morgana's darkness as well as Jared's life force. Evelyn practices a little bit with her newfound abilities, can change the water's direction and make it into ice. This is completely unrelated to the synopsis, but I just wanted to say it really bothered me how this book was written in German and it's set in the UK, but the translators chose to use a Fahrenheit scale in translation rather than Celsius. Americans. I was so upset. Like Sorcerer's Stone, but degrees. Yeah, she was like, okay. And it was like a whole science lesson. She's like, okay, so... Water freezes at 32 degrees and boils at 212. And I was like, Evelyn, god damn it. Use the correct there, She, She really, and she also was like, 60% of our body is water. I was like, okay. <laughs> we'll get into it when we talk Love about it. the sorting. <laughs> yeah. Chapter 9. As she gets closer to Morgana, the island starts to change, appearing more menacing and dead. She happens upon three Dimnati trying to assault a nymph and boils their blood and their bodies start bursting. 
She keeps trekking forward, hoping she can come up with a plan to save Jared. I love how she pulls, like, a full-scale Katara there with, like, blood bending. I, I love it. <laughs> so, chapter 10. She makes it to the war camp with all of Morgana and the Dumnati, and Morgana has destroyed a large swath of the land. Uh, Evelyn stealthily, or she thinks stealthily, wanders through the camp. <laughs> And she sees the extent of the torture that the Dumnati have inflicted on the inhabitants of the island and is full of rage. She is, of course, discovered and demands to be taken to Morgana and they lead her there. She then, like, kills one of them so she's able to get in without being announced. And Morgana is slowly stealing Jared's magic, which, again, causes Evelyn to freak out. So she rages out and attacks Morgana. Her and Morgana battle back and forth with magic, and Morgana is surprised at how powerful Evelyn is. Uh, Evelyn manages in a, like, moment of distraction to get Jared down from the cross that he's been crucified on, uh, and turns back to fight Morgana some more. (laughs) But the magic pact that Jared made to offer his magic freely to Morgana in exchange for Evelyn's soul is still an obstacle. However, he doesn't care, so he throws his magic all of it into the fight and then collapses. <sighs> Chapter 11. Jared isn't moving and Morgana absorbs the last of his power. It seems as if it might come back to Jared, but Morgana is able to contain all the magic and Jared is dead. Ad- Evelyn starts to think about how she can overpower Morgana, potentially by trying to overwhelm her with Nimue's magic as well. She does this and it leaves her with no sense of self. Chapter 12, Evelyn wakes back up, and as she wakes back up, she's surrounded by all of the Avalon beings who are there and ready to fight. Uh, Morgana has some magic backwash, and the magic comes back out of her, so Evelyn reclaims her own magic. Then Jared is uh, magically somehow alive again, and he reclaims his magic. (laughs) And then him and Evelyn kiss, because that's the perfect time for this whole situation. Another magic ball comes out of Morgana, and it's reclaimed by Ruth, who just happens to be there. Uh, So she quickly appears, takes her magic, disappears again. And then Morgana disappears quickly wearing Evelyn's locket. And though they chase her, they lose her because the locket hides the wearer from anyone who... concealed. Yeah, from anyone who wishes them harm. Uh, Jared and Evelyn, like, catch up with one another, just have a little chat. Evelyn slaps him. (laughs) It's my favorite part of the whole book. (laughs) She slaps him for making the deal without her consent, like, to basically give away all of his magic, but they make up. Um, as they discuss everything, they don't understand how they or Ruth are still alive after giving up their magic, but Evelyn thinks she's found the source of eternal life. Chapter 13, lucky number 13, (laughs) Evelyn reveals the magic spring she got the magic from is the Well of Eternal Youth, and because she drank from it and gave Jared water from it, they both survived. But as Morgana didn't drink from the source, she is mortal, so they embark to go kill her. But first, Evelyn has to return the magic, which makes her extremely sad, made slightly better by her and Jared having sex for the first time in the pool. (laughs) Nothing like a near-death experience. I mean, listen. Sparks of romance. 
it happened in the first book. They got all handsy after her, like, three near-death experiences, so. Oh my god, these two. <laughs> Starcross lovers. Ah. We just gotta leave them alone. Uh, chapter 14. Devastated from the loss of her magic, but happy to have Jared back again. Evelyn and Jared leave Avalon in a kind of a bittersweet fashion. She really doesn't want to go, but they have to. As they go through the fog, there are no apparitions this time, so Evelyn realizes Morgana put those there to terrify her. They find Colin just sitting in the mist. He's a total wreck, but Evelyn convinces him that everything he saw wasn't real and gets him to come with them. Chapter 15. They emerge into a music festival, the Glastonbury Festival. <laughs> and try to chase a Donatus in the crowd, but lose it. Then they run into the Order members. They never saw Morgana, but Ruth emerged and they grabbed her. She doesn't know how to use her magic. Once they get back to the headquarters, they question Ruth, and we learn her mother is a light guardian, and Morgana forced Mary, her mother, to give the magic up to save Ruth when she was younger. Ruth wanted the magic back, which is why she pushed Evelyn to go into Avalon. We also learned Gareth never actually killed Mary, just let her disappear. Ruth orchestrated the whole scenario of the last book, stealing Evelyn's amulets and giving it to Madison to go fetch a Morgana from Avalon. Madison's mom explains this. Madison's Madison mom. Madison's mom <laughs> explains this all, and Ruth admits it. She regains use of her powers and disappears from the room. Karen rushes in, grateful Jared is alive, but Jared and Enid banish her for life. No redemption arc for Karen. <laughs> she keeps trying, and rejection after rejection. <laughs> Seriously. Uh, chapter 16, you know, back to the plot of the concealed. Jared and Evelyn shower and bathe in their clothes again. Because that's a thing that they do. Uh, but at least there were no panic attacks this time, so that's a positive. After some sleep, stuff starts to get back to normal. They discuss the plan to find Morgana and then go into town to have lunch with Sally and Colin. Sally makes her promise to come back out for a drink that night. Back at the compound, we learn that talks with the police over Karen and her, like, you know many murders of people are progressing and we also learn that Irvin and Enid have a relationship apparently <laughs> uh Evelyn grabs Jesse to watch a training session between her and Colin and then they go back into town to be with Sally chapter 17 Morgana was spotted in the city so they all get ready to follow her once in London, they meet up with a detective in the Order who shows them a surveillance tape of Morgana creating a demnit. I can never say this, dem demnatus. <laughs> and they then all split up to look for her. Jared tells Evelyn she has to go to the safe house because she doesn't have her magic. She agrees, and the cop says he will drive her and Enid there, which makes Jared angry. The cop is into Evelyn. I think his name is Adam, right? Adam Parker. Like very plain. Adam Parker. But, um... Why did you use this word in the synopsis? I don't know. It's just how I talk. You talk like this? Yeah. <laughs> um, but he, I'm not saying this. Acquiesces. She agrees, and the cop, she agrees. The cop says he will drive her and Enid there, which makes Jared angry. The cop is into Evelyn, but he moves on. <laughs> 
He get he lets it happen. I don't know. I use the word acquiesce a lot. I don't know what to tell you. What? Do you know what that means? Okay. He like agrees to it. He like gives in. I have never heard anyone use this word in my entire life, and I am the daughter of a literate person. <laughs> like a very relevant Okay, person. go tell your dad that I use this word and he'll be like, ah, oh, Chantel, I'm so proud of her. Honestly, he probably would be. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Anyways. Anyway, that was funny. I really <laughs> like. like I, I was like, "What the heck?" <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. I will say. I mean, though, I've probably heard it before, but I just like have never seen it used in a sentence like it's, outside. It looks of maybe really, the news. <laughs> it looks really funky when it's spelled out. Like yeah. acquiesce is a very strangely spelled word. <laughs> anyway. But Adam Parker, we get introduced to Adam Parker. He's a <laughs> lot of fun. I like him. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, God. Okay, chapter 18. (laughs) They get to the safe house, which happens to be Judith's house. For those that don't remember, Judith was a random member of the inner circle sanctum, whatever the terminology is in this book. She's one of the, like, council people. And she's not super welcoming. She's not a big fan of Evelyn. Sally calls again, saying she needs to tell Evelyn something, but she can't tell her over the phone, and that Colin isn't picking up, and Evelyn tells her it has to wait a few days because they're all in London. Sally's obviously not happy about that, but she acquiesces. (laughs) Oh my god. (laughs) You're gonna start using this, like, all the time now. I I am. It's true. Uh, Jared doesn't get back till early the next morning and then is off on another lead by the time she fully wakes up. And Eden has to go back to Oxford for some emergency that I don't think we ever get resolved. (laughs) Chapter 19, we get Jared's point of view, which we're not really told. We just have to figure it out from context clues. (laughs) He's frustrated by the lack of results in the search for Morgana and feels responsible for Evelyn being in danger. He reminisces on what she means to him and knows he has to do whatever he can he can to make sure she can return to Avalon. He call in, tracks some Dimnati into a club, they lure them out to find out where Morgana is, and Colin kills one with Excalibur. The other doesn't show doesn't know where Morgana is, so Colin kills it it too. I was supposed to say him, but yeah, better it. <laughs> I mean, it's a him, but fair. We don't need to call it that. No. We don't need to degrade the male gender with Demnati. That's not fair. Well, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway. Ouch. Okay, chapter, chapter 20, we're back to Evelyn's point of view. She wakes up to Jared coming home and then wakes up again alone. So he does this to her two nights in a row. The detective comes to the house to take her out, or Adam Parker comes to the house to take her out and keep her company, and he, he just thinks she's the bee's knees and thinks that she's Merlin's descendant because everyone wants to keep her safe, Uh, but Adamnatus attacks her and she takes it down and calls Gareth to come get them. Jared is furious that the detective took her outside and she gets mad at Jared for treating her like a weakling. They handcuff the Demnatus to the bathroom radiator, but he kills himself with a razor before they could, or it kills itself with a razor before they can question it. Yes, and as um, Evelyn says, I think she goes, I'm not a dog. (laughs) Good for you, girl. 
She stands up for herself a lot more in this she book. Did. Well, it was the way Jared phrased it, and I like that really annoyed me too. Was like, um, like, why did you take her outside? And she was like, I'm not a dog. <laughs> no one's taking me for a walk outside. I oh, make my shit. own decisions, dude. <laughs> Chapter 21, Evelyn calls Jared out for being irritable with her, and she forces him to stay with her that night and actually sleep. During the night, she has a dream, which she thinks will lead them to the amulet at King's Cross. So they get to King's Cross, and Evelyn tries to sense the amulet. They navigate through King's Cross before finding the hiding hole that she may be in, and Jared orders Evelyn to go back, which makes her upset, but she eventually goes. She acquiesces. I was waiting for you to say, I literally was like, there you took a breath and I was like, she's gonna go there, she's gonna go there. <laughs> the detective gets a radio call that something like a Dimnatus has was spotted in the subway tunnel, um, or the tube, <laughs> since we're in the UK. So he, Gareth, and Evelyn go to investigate, but it was something much worse than a Dimnatus. It seemingly kills the men and chases Evelyn, but she is saved by Ruth, who tra- teleports her out. It did kill the guys. R.I.P. It 100% killed both yes, of them. Yes, R.I.P. <laughs> R.I.P. So many deaths in this book. <laughs> uh, okay, so we learn in chapter 22 that the thing was a very old demon monster man uh, called Old Nick. That lived under London for centuries. Not Santa Claus. <laughs> Not Santa Claus. I did do some Googling, um, and there is an, I mean, Old Nick is, like, an old term for the devil in, like, lots of colloquialisms, mm-hmm. but there is a very specific devil called Old Nick, or the Swansea Devil in Wales, that also, mm-hmm. um... It was, like, a specifically British thing that I found. It has nothing to do with the London Underground, but... I just thought of good old St. Nick, so... <laughs> I just imagine Very that, different. like, old, this old Nick is, like, Krampus, but pretending to be Santa Claus. Uh, That's the vibe oh I was getting. God. That's creepy. Okay. <laughs> uh, but anyway, so it's lived under London for centuries. Evelyn makes Ruth bring Jared to her at the safe house, and eventually everyone comes back with a Dumnatus in tow. They all fight about how she was able to injure old Nick and, like, trying to figure out why that was even able to happen. And we get some more context on the magic system of the world. Apparently, Evelyn's blue dagger was forged in Dragonfire, just like Excalibur. Judith then kicks Evelyn out of the house because she doesn't want to deal with all this drama. And to punish her for trying to do that, Jared removes the protections on Judith's house and then they all just dip and go back to Oxford. He has such a temper. He really does. Chapter 23, we switch it up again and we start off with Morgana's point of view, which again, we don't get any indications except for context clues so what the heck morgana wasn't discovered but they had been close to her she reminisces on her sister and their life growing up and how jealous of eowyn she was turns out morgana was originally supposed to marry kenneth combury and she loved him but he and eowyn fell in love so she married him instead morgana tried to tear the family apart and eventually eowyn died She tries to take her spot with Kenneth, but Merlin discovered her and she got kicked to the curb again, so she swore revenge on the bloodline forever. 
Old Nick comes to visit Morgana, offering to help her. She just wants Evelyn and promises her Jared in return. She hesitates given how pure Evelyn's soul is, but is willing to work with him. He says she will succeed if she can get Ruth's magic back, and he has a plan to do so. The fact that she hesitated made no sense to me, but... I, yeah, I was trying to figure that out too, but whatever. Neither here nor there. It's like, we're not trying to humanize Morgana at this point. That doesn't make sense. We get a whole backstory when, like, she's clearly about to die, but whatever. Well, we get a whole backstory in which she's still evil. Like, it doesn't humanize her at all. Ugh, okay. Chapter 24. We're back to Evelyn's point of view. They all get back to Oxford, Oxford, and Enid is... Oxford. Oxford. <laughs> Oxford. I'm the Aflac duck. I'm, a, I'm the Aflac duck in Britain on vacation. It's great. Um, Enid is apparently devastated over the loss of Gareth. Like, this is described in so much detail, you would think that she was dating Gareth and not Irvin, but <laughs> what do I know of why people get upset? Uh, they interrogate the Damnatus that they captured to try and get info on Morgana, but they don't get a ton. Evelyn goes outside for some, like, fresh air, and Ruth shows up and kidnaps her, taking her to Morgana and Old Nick. <laughs> uh, and if, it's, if this hasn't been clear, her light guardian powers allow her to appear and disappear as well, so she can basically teleport or apparate. Um, so Morgana has taken Hannah, Ruth's daughter, prisoner to get Ruth to bring Evelyn to them and also so she can steal Ruth's magic. Evelyn tries to convince Ruth that giving over her magic to Morgana will not save her daughter and tells her to go get Jared instead, which Ruth does. She disappears, but then Old Nick cuts Evelyn's throat, but magically she doesn't bleed out and it heals. (laughs) So that's fun. Old Nick disappears because he's a little freaked out by all of this. Evelyn jumps on Morgana to grab the amulet and free Hannah. Ruth ends up bringing Jared, grabs Hannah, disappears from everything. Jared and Morgana fight until Old Nick reappears, holding Sally because he kidnapped her. I knew that was coming at some point. Morgana threatens to kill Sally unless Evelyn takes Morgana back into Avalon and gives her Nimue's magic, but then Ruth reappears with Colin, and Colin chops off Morgana's arm with Excalibur. Old Nick disappears again, and Jared kills Morgana once and for all. Chapter 25... Sally starts screaming because Colin is dead, hit fully with a blast of magic from Morgana. Everyone yells at Ruth for bringing him there, and there's lots of mourning, with Sally being inconsolable. We learn that it is because she is pregnant, which is what she had been trying to tell Evelyn and Colin earlier. I quit. I quit. Unnecessary. Chapter 26. Lots more mourning. We get Gareth and Colin's funerals, and we're reminded that Sally's baby is King Arthur's heir, yet she has no idea. But Jared initiates both her and her mom, and they tell them everything. And after some time, they all start going back to class. 
Ruth shows up one evening and quickly gives Evelyn a notebook of her mother's with the truth about Nimue. Mary had been following both the Conburys and the Lakewoods for years, trying to defeat Morgana and also make sure that the families were safe and protected from Morgana, and this notebook description ends with an address. Chapter 27. We get Nimue's point of view, which again, we don't contact the Nimue is living in a flat in London with a big bathtub. It's very important. Contemplating, <laughs> contemplating her immortality and resenting all the suffering she has had over the years. The doorbell rings, and when she answers it, answers it is Evelyn, and Nimue recognizes her as a descendant. Now, in the same chapter, we switch back to Evelyn's point of view. With no context. With no indica- indicators. They hug, and we learn Jared is the spitting image of Merlin, as per Nimue. They talk about Nimue's life and Evelyn's life, and why Nimue couldn't return to Avalon because Morgana was making it impossible by killing nymphs. All of Nimue's descendants have died because she only has drunk from the source in Avalon, and apparently drinking from the source makes you immortal. So Jared and Evelyn are now immortal. They tell Nimue Morgana is dead and try to give the amulet back to her, but she tells Evelyn to keep it, and then Evelyn says she wants to take Nimue home. Epilogue. Evelyn and Nimue go to Avalon. Nimue is finally home, and she decides to give some of her magic to Evelyn. Uh, The end. The end. We made it. That's definitely a duology. Like, there is nothing I could possibly think of happening in book three except for, like, Nimue and Evelyn interactions. But, like, that feels so, like, final to me. Well, the only thing that was left open was old Nick saying, I'll see you again. Like, Mm. to set him up as being the villain of the third book. But that's not interesting to me. Like, I don't care. No. I don't care about any of this. It was such a strange book. (laughs) Honestly, I don't even think it really needed to be a duology. I think you go for a 450-page standalone fantasy novel you Mm -hmm. cut out a lot of the intro of the concealed of like them going to class Mm -hmm. and coming back from class and going to class and coming back from class and waking up and going to sleep and waking up and going to sleep (laughs) right you cut out the entire felix plot it doesn't need to be there and including in the second book did not did not need to be there we did not need to know felix got turned into a damnatus just to be murdered like that's not necessary and then you have them chase Morgana, because by the time you meet Morgana, then you're probably about halfway through the book. Conflict ensues. Chase her into Avalon, get her out of Avalon, do a little bit of chasing, maybe, and move on. You don't introduce Adam Parker. You don't introduce old Nick. Like, ugh. the pacing of this whole duology was just so bad. Yep. It's just, like, there's so much a lead-up, and then the wrap-up is, like, a two pages long. That's what blows my mind. It's like, we spend so much time setting up these characters and the plot, only to have, like, basically be book two, have the action, and then that's it. Like, Colin's dead, and they give two pages of, like, the post-war, basically, and then move on. 
And you don't even get a good death for Colin, who's supposed to be one of your no. main characters. Like, it's yeah. ru- It's all rushed. There was nothing... I didn't feel anything when anyone died in this book. Like, I did not care. No. Well, <laughs> King Arthur's always gonna die, so we saw that one coming, I think. But, I mean, I don't know. That didn't seem necessary. No. There was just also this, like, all this, like, science talk in there, which is, like, so, it felt really weird. Like, I don't know if that was just me. Like, I don't mind science talk in books. But I think when you pair it with fantasy, that, to me, is when it starts to get kind of weird feeling. Like, he, like who was it? One of the, one of the, um, I don't even remember who it was, was giving a whole speech about, like, earth fire wind water and like in my mind i'm like talking about like the avatar last airbender thing (laughs) well they do like yeah they do some stuff where it's like randomly placed where they're like ah yes i'm going to explain part of the magic system of this world now and it's never going to come up again nor does it actually matter but let me explain it to you (laughs) and it's just like a little mini lecture and then like you have Evelyn, like, basing it on science. Like, so it's magic, and then she's like, but the special magic is actually very scientific because of this, this, and this reason. Well, and then her this, this, so. and this reason is phase changes of water. I'm like, Evelyn. And the body I, is 60% water. I get this is a YA book, but, like, can we not be so juvenile with our science explanations if we're going to use science? Like, I know. I just... We got a whole science class. Middle school science class in here. did. There was... Okay, but, like, also, speaking of, like, really weird explanations of things, there was a point when they were talking about Excalibur, and Colin was the one... Oh, like, he goes, like, Excalibur was forged in dragon's fire? What? I was like, everyone knows this. Like, why would you, the descendant of King Arthur, not know this? <laughs> like, I knew it. Everyone knows this. Like, he's, like, uh, I don't Has know. he not watched BBC Merlin to understand? I know, clearly he hasn't. He obviously has not. <laughs> I'm disappointed in him. Well, it no just... taste. It, it kind of, it's like having this, um... It's like Excalibur, Forged in Dragon Fire, and then this random dagger that we don't even know where it came from. Also, Forged in Dragon Fire, it reminded me of like Lord of the Rings, where you have all of these like amazing elvish blades that like glow and do all of these really cool things and have all these magical properties. And then Bilbo Baggins just like happens upon a little knife fit for a hobbit that also glows, and he's like I got one. (laughs) (laughs) The sad thing is, like, I really love most of these characters. I really do. But we just didn't spend any time with any Mm -mm. of the characters in this book. Like, we just rushed through (laughs) We spent time with Morgana. (laughs) Yeah, and we spent time with Evelyn. So it's, it's funny because, like, I empathized and, like, fell in love with Evelyn all over again in this book and I remembered why in the entire series I actually really liked Evelyn as a character 
because you get very little of that in the first book when she's just like, woe is me, the world is sad, everything is sad, Jared's pretty. Like, you get a lot more nuance from her in this book, but at the sacrifice of literally every other character. Yeah. Like, there was and Jared nothing. becomes, I'm gonna say, like, Jared becomes more annoying in the first book. He's just like, oh my god. He, like, had her on a leash. I didn't blame her when she was like, stop treating me like a dog. He was the worst in this book. Absolute worst. I I get he wasn't, like, your cup of tea in the first book, but, like, you can still see why someone would be into him in the first book, Mm -hmm. I think, even if it's not you. He just wasn't my type in the first book. But in this, I'm just like, boy, you toxic. You need to stop. He was, like, all over her. And that whole, okay, the whole, like, Adam Parker storyline thing that was going on where, like, he was presented to be, like, to make Jared jealous. I was like, is this really necessary? Like, it's just making Jared look even more possessive. And it's not a good like you can have cute possessive like I think that you can have relationships where like one kind of gets jealous more easily and it's made into a cute kind of light-hearted thing this was not cute (laughs) he was like staring down Adam Parker like he wanted to murder him for just talking to Evelyn well and like I okay so the thing is I agree I 100% agree with you I think the point that did not come clearly across that we're meant to remember is that, like, Jared can sense people's intentions and emotions with, like, his magic feeling powers. And so he can probably tell if there are impure thoughts about his girlfriend. But, like, dude, that's gonna happen. You have a pretty girlfriend. You need, the guy's, like, single and her age-ish. Like, you need to get over it. You need to trust. Be proud that you have her. Don't be weird about it. And trust her. Like. Yeah. She fought through an army of (laughs) Demnati to like rescue you from Avalon. She single-handedly rescued you from Avalon. She made you immortal. And also she stabbed a Demnati in the middle of London on her own. Like she's doing fine. Collins trained her well. Trust your friend, trust your girlfriend, and stop being in your feelings. He just, I don't know, he turned so toxic in this book, and it made me sad. Ugh, but anyways, let's stop ragging on it, because that's not nice. There were probably some good things about it, too. Um, I can't think of it off the top of my head, but... Yeah, I just checked through my highlights. I really like the scene when she... It reminds me a lot of the Narnia movies, um, because I haven't read the books in, like, years, but, um, where she's in the camp, and she's on the ground, she's been hurled there by Morgana, and Jared is presumed dead, and, like, things are not looking good for her, and all of Avalon basically rises up to help Mm -hmm. her, like, I like that scene. The way that it was described was really nice. It's like the goblins were coming out. The nymphs who are these peaceful creatures knew that there was something wrong. Yeah. And that this was their opportunity to finally fight back. Like that was really nice. I really like that that whole sequence of events. Um, had no idea what was going on with Jared half the time. Like he was on the ground. He was on a cross. Like is he Jesus? I don't know. Well, Evelyn <laughs> said he was. She was like he was hung up on a cross like Jesus. And I'm like, great. 
Why? Because <laughs> Morgana's a mess, and there's all of this weird overlap between the round table and Jesus and the disciples. I don't yeah. know. Um, I, I did really like the imagery of, like, her walking through Avalon. I thought that was really fun. Yeah. Like, getting to discover the magic and, like, I all the different creatures. I would have loved to spent, exactly, more time in Avalon. That's what I want. Yeah. Like, that was so cute, the, like, nymphs, when they finally kind of warmed up to her and she could connect with them. So here's the problem. We just didn't spend as much time in Avalon as we spent going to psychology class with Evelyn. I know. And it was like, not an appropriate balance. When she leaves Avalon, she's so sad about it, right? And I, like, wanted to empathize with her, but the problem was we had, like, very little to go off of to empathize with her. We like, had, like, 15 pages in Avalon. No. I would it, have loved that, though. Because, that again, like, it felt very Narnia-esque to me. Like, mm-hmm. when the Pevensey kids are leaving Narnia, like, that's, I feel like, what I should have felt. Like, I cried when the Pevensey kids in the first movie left Narnia. I bawled yeah. in the second movie. But, like, with Evelyn, I'm like, uh, uh. Right. <laughs> there wasn't enough time to, like, appropriately do the world building, which was just yeah. unfortunate. Um, oh, but I will give her that the whole Glastonbury Festival sequence, funny as hell, and I really like that. But I'm like, I love, you know, music, big music festivals, so like the image in my mind of them just like randomly coming out and they're like surrounded by like drunk music lovers everywhere and like flags and like crazy outfits and stuff. I love that. I thought that was so funny. Yeah, that's that's completely fair. I liked getting like descriptions of some of the different creatures that like... You don't see a lot in fantasy, but that, like, I know of through some of my, like, tangential fantasy mm. reads. So, like, bar guests, for example, um, make an appearance in The Witcher. Uh, behemoths make an appearance in some video games that I've played. Mm-hmm. Like, getting exposure to some of those, like, fantasy creatures, which is why I wanted more time in Avalon, too, because I'm like, mm, world building, give me this, <laughs> instead of the, like, random descriptions of magic that never matter at all. It's like, don't build a magic system if you're not going to use the magic system. Straight. Uh, why don't we talk about your predictions that you made <laughs> at the end of the first book when we read yes. it versus what actually happened. So, I'm going to I'm going to rattle through these and we can kind of like go through how many you actually hit. Uh first one, very generic. They figure out Morgana's plans. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I would say that they did. <laughs> so, A plus there. Good job. And very uh, successful in stopping them. Yep. Jared dies and then gets resurrected. That so, happened. That happened. Wow. Good job. Very proud. Uh, you were confused. You just said they're going to defeat Morgana, and is that it? <laughs> is there any more to this that story? <laughs> but that is it. Right. That's correct. <laughs> I mean, they kind of could have seen Nimue, but basically it ends after Morgana is defeated. Like. Yep. Yeah. Um, I thought this one was also, again, very vague, but also applicable. Jared and Evelyn get whatever happened at the end of the first book sorted. They do. That's true. Uh, Jared comes back. He does. 
and Morgana disappears. She also does. So, great job. Very fake. Um, you also said someone's going to die. I think it's gonna be Jared. But, ooh, wouldn't it be cool if Karen had to sacrifice herself for a redemption arc? Maybe that's how Jared gets resurrected. I was wrong with that that was very That was very incorrect. I still stand. That would have been an interesting redemption arc, but... It would have, but (laughs) we don't get anything that three-dimensional in this story. No. (laughs) Uh... You said that Ruth would come along and help lead them into battle. Very incorrect. Yeah. Poor Ruth. Uh, I was so wrong about Ruth. Yeah. Um. I I asked you when we were going through it. I said location. Where is it going to be set? And you asked me. You were like, "Are they going into Avalon?" And I was like, "I can't answer that question." But you didn't originally think Avalon. You thought they might go back to the site of Jared's family's death. Which honestly would not be the most morbid thing that happened in this book. But they didn't go there. Uh, And then we made a joke that they were all going to go to Wales to visit the tomb of Murden. Sad. they didn't do. Uh, How good would it have been, though, if they ended up doing that at the end when Colin dies? And they were like, okay, we're going to bury Colin with Murden, because I feel like that would kind of make sense, but... <laughs> Maybe if Jared died, but he won't, because he's immortal. But Colin, like, where does, like, Colin, is he just gonna be with his, like, family plot or something? That seems so, like, boring. Or maybe he'll go to Sally's family's plot. True. I don't know. The Order like, probably just has for plots. Colin, come on. He I needs know. more. Well, it's like, I'm sorry, why did they just, like, make Sally pregnant so they could continue on the line? Like, that was so weird. That was really weird. Uh, That was so unnecessary. I think I, like, just, like, was like, okay. Also, her and Colin have had sex, like, three times. Like, really? (laughs) How do you slip up like that? I mean, it's possible, but wear protection, people. Seriously. Oh, my God. Wear protection, especially when you're in high school and college and you... You have a boyfriend that disappears for weeks at a time and won't tell you what he's doing. That's, like, even if, like, your friends are telling you, like, it's fine, like, we have it under control, like, trust us, like, don't do it. Don't trust them. Wrap it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. Um, Okay. So then you said Ruth has to know about everything that's going on and she's going to help them piece the clues together. Well, she knew about everything that was going on. I wouldn't quite yeah. say she helped them piece the clues No, it's half right. A little bit. And she gives, like, the notebook at the end, and she gives Evelyn the book. Mm-hmm. Like, little bits here and there, but she keeps a lot of things close to her chest. Uh, you also said that her and Karen are going to butt heads, and that Enid <laughs> will come out of nowhere and show them all up. Um... Karen does not feature in the plot at all in this book, so that's obviously incorrect. Two, two, two spots, and that's it. And Enid shows everyone up all the time because she's great, but nothing specific to Ruth, I wouldn't say. Uh, I was really banking on Ruth doing something. You were. Yeah. You were also banking on Sally yeah. being more than just, like, a Mary Sue. Oh, sad. <laughs> um, getting knocked up with Colin's kid. 
Seriously. So your prediction, your prediction for Sally was that at some point she was going to have to get brought in and she was going to become a Guinevere figure and go into battle with them and be the brains to Colin's might. You are incorrect. She was only used as bait. I'm so sorry. Justice for for the both of them. They deserved so much more. Uh, yes. Next is what I think is an interesting one. You said that Morgana will bring Felix back to haunt Evelyn. That kind of technically is correct. What I thought was interesting is you were like, I would 100% read that story if that's true. I don't want a redemption arc for Felix, and I hope he stays gone, but if he's going to be in the plot, I want him to be a Dimnati, is basically what you were saying. (laughs) So... You got what you yeah. wanted. Was it worth it? No. <laughs> Not like even one close. page. <laughs> Such a waste of time. Uh, and then I asked you if you thought Evelyn was going to interact with the Order or not to go save Jared. And you thought she wasn't going to want to take people's advice, that she will do what she thinks is best, and that she would not trust the Order to help her. Which was incorrect. Yeah. She, she does go off it. on her own with the old Nick thing, but, like, it, not really. Well, she goes off with Gareth and Adam, who are both in the Order. Yeah. So she's True. trusting the Order members around her to, like, support her. She's not, like, going off on her own completely, like, what she did to get captured by Morgana, because she realized <laughs> It's not that a was... Ninth House situation where she is doing her own thing. No, she's definitely not Galaxy at all. No. Um, so yeah, any last thoughts from you on the book? <laughs> I want to say, I feel like I brought this up, I could be completely wrong, but back when we read the chapter with, um, oh my god, what is her name? Madison, when she takes off the amulet, and it's presumed that she took off the amulet, I think, I'm pretty sure I said... I don't think it's Madison. I think it's someone else because we never see her face. And Game of Thrones, me, it was like, if you don't <laughs> see the face, it didn't happen. <laughs> so I'm pretty sure that I said that. You did and say that. guess what? I was right. You it were. It wasn't Madison. It That's was Ruth. I completely if you don't forgot. See it, if you don't see the head chopped off, if you don't see the blood going out, if you don't see the face, it didn't happen. Not wrong. trust writers. <laughs> I completely forgot what happened in the second book, which obviously, because, like, this is so easy to block out of your brain because there's nothing yeah, of substance to this book. It's a passing comment, too. Um, so I completely forgot. Like, I knew Ruth had betrayed everybody, but I didn't remember the extent of what all those betrayals meant. Um, mm-hmm. But at the same time, the entire first book, like, everyone is saying, Madison <laughs> stole it. So it's taken as canon in the first book, and then it's retconned in the second. Yeah. Just saying. I just felt so justified. I was like, I saw this coming. I'm really proud of you. Good job. Thank you. What did you rate the book overall? <laughs> the second book? Mm-hmm. Um, out of five stars? Mm-hmm. Um, I think I would rate it, like, a two. Fair. I just like a two because Evelyn gets a backbone, but nothing more than that because there's just like nothing else for me to like give it 
anything. There's like, nothing in the I, book. That's completely I fair. just don't, yeah, there's, like, nothing for me that I'm like, okay, wow, that was so cool and interesting. Like, maybe if we had spent more time in Avalon, I would have given it a three, but I don't know. So yeah. I, I gave it a three because, uh, well, so apparently my brain was on something in college when I first read this book because I had originally <laughs> given it five stars on Goodreads, which is vastly incorrect. Um, but I I still really love getting to spend time with Evelyn, and I think getting to finally see her backbone shine through, seeing her, like, lash out at Jared, seeing her flirt back with the detective, like, just seeing her kind of, like, come into her own justified all of the suffering I went through for her in book one, <laughs> that yeah. it made this book worth it. Like, there was not one moment that I was upset with Evelyn pretty much in this entire book. Like, I was on board with everything that she was doing and, and supporting her the entire time. Jared was disappointing. Um, the death of Colin was disappointing. And the lack of time we spent with Colin was honestly really disappointing. Agreed. But, at the, like, I'm just glad we got a resolution to the story, and I really do like the first book. So I think that's why it was, like, three stars. It's like, was it the best resolution? No. Am I so glad I got one? Yes. But on reread, I I just, my, and I was saying this at the beginning, like, I have so many problems with the pacing of this story. It, we jump from location to location to location, like, every 30 to 40 pages, because the book's only 200 and, like, 40 pages on Kindle, and there's no consistency in storyline, like, the plot doesn't make sense. We literally, like, rush through dramatic you know, emotional moments and then like jump four or five days ahead or like two weeks ahead and there's no context for anything. The POV chapters, <laughs> ridiculous that they, she started messing around with alternate POVs with like no structure around that. Like that, that was just. That was wild to me. I was not prepared for that when I started reading those. I was like, what's going on? Yeah, I know. You have to, like, take a second and then, like, start the chapter over again once you realize what's going on. It's so weird. Um, but I also very rarely will rate something two stars unless I absolutely hated it. And I don't absolutely hate this. I just would never reread it again. And I think the only time I've ever, in recent history, that I've rated something two stars on Goodreads, it was The Elite from the Selection series. <laughs> and the only reason that was two stars instead of three, like the rest of the Selection series, is because that book was wholly unnecessary. This book was at least necessary to resolve the story. The elite, you could delete it, and I wouldn't honestly even know <laughs> that it wasn't. I'm a much more liberal in my ratings, my bad ratings. I also do stars, so like I'm, I'm trying to remember what I rated this on. Let me check my schedule of things that I. I want to say I gave this two point five stars. Yeah, I gave, so I gave it 2.5 stars, but me being me, I would on Goodreads normally round that up. Like, it's very rare that I round down when I do half stars. 
So, yep. Those are my thoughts on reread. Not as good as I remembered it being in college. And the pacing was absolutely trash. Um, so, let's refresh our characters... Uh, Hogwarts houses. Um, and I added some new characters on here that we got introduced to, and I removed characters that we did not spend enough time with in this book to justify us saying anything. Like, Karen got removed because we don't talk to Karen at all in this book. Nope. Old Nick's not bye on here because, like, he's bye obviously... Karen. She was such a Karen. She was, true. Um, old Nick's not on here because, like, raiding demons just honestly doesn't seem like a good use of no, our time. No, he's there in, like, one and a half chapters, basically. Yeah. So, starting with Jared. Where does Jared end up with for you? Um, God, I think I'm going to put him in Gryffindor because he's just, like, reckless and too brave, I think. Like... He's borderline Hufflepuff. Can I say it? Hufflepuff. Hufflepuff. Because I think that he's very much there for... I really don't remember where we put him in last time. But he's... Everything he does is kind of for his friends. But at the same time, I think that he's, like, very brash in some of his decisions. Which he doesn't really think how the... Like, what the consequences are and how they affect other people, Mm -hmm. necessarily. Um, He's just very blindly daring in a in a reckless kind of way and that just seems more Gryffindor well and I think he's like obviously he wants to protect his friends he's being loyal to his friends Mm -hmm. but the decisions that he's making to do that are self-centered they're centered around his own feelings and his own experience and not someone else's feelings whereas I think a Hufflepuff is much more like patient and understanding and empathetic of everyone's feelings around them that are their friends and they're also a little bit more balanced and fair when they're making decisions than he was he was just like my word is law because I'm Merlin's descendant you all can fuck off and like that's just not (laughs) an appropriate solution um I would 100% agree with Gryffindor for this Colin, who is fridge. Uh, I'm giving Colin, I'm going to give him Hufflepuff. I think. I just think that he's kind of like the, I mean, he really is the other side of the coin for Jared, right? Mm -hmm. Like, he is also very brave, but he's much more braver in, like, the how do I help everyone and how, like, it's much more selfless. It's much more, like, he thinks things through, I think, a lot more. He doesn't, like, when he is brash, it's because... Did he need to run into the mist, though? (laughs) But I think that he was worried about Jared and he was worried about... Evelyn. Evelyn. And so when he is brash... It's because he's worried about his friends, and um, it's, it feels more heartfelt than whatever the heck Jared is doing. <laughs> I I would agree with that. I think he's trying to keep everyone happy. Like, he's trying to keep, you know, the balance of, like, doing what he needs to do to protect Evelyn and Jared and, like, go hunt Morgana and, like, do the right thing, but also make sure Sally feels supported and he's, like, dealing with this torn reality and, like, He's not always making the hero's decision, right? That would be, like, the Gryffindorian decision. Like, sometimes he's putting Sally's feelings above 
his own and above the situation and literally you have to like drag him away from Sally to get him to focus on something else. Um, so I can, I can 100% agree with, with Hufflepuff. Um, Sally, I still, I, I think she's a Ravenclaw. You do? I think that she's a Hufflepuff. What's your reasoning? So, I think, well, so first off, I don't really think she cares that, she she just wants to get her own shit dealt with, and is kind of, like, a little bit more narrow-minded focused, and she misses her friends, like, she wants to hang out with her friends, but, like, she's trying to prioritize her own well-being, make sure that she knows all the things that she needs to do, inform all the people that she needs to inform of her pregnancy, um, you know, kind of get all of her ducks in a row and like even when she's hanging out with Evelyn um you know it's everything's very structured like she's making a structure and a plan around their friendship rather than just being like let's see what happens I've missed you very like free willy she's like no we're gonna meet up at eight and like this is gonna be our plan and our structure which to me is very Ravenclaw because at least that's how I am I don't really see Hufflepuffs being that plan oriented and She's doing everything she can with the limited information that she has to, like, piece everything together um, throughout the entire time. Be like, wait, now you're in London. What does that mean? When are you going to be back? Like, trying to orient herself around everything. And then when she finds out that she's carrying King Arthur's heir, like, she absorbs the information and, like, makes a plan and, like, moves forward with it. And, like, figures out how to deal with her baby and, like, being a single mother, basically. Um... So I think she's just orienting herself in her intelligence and, like, having that, like, planning mindset rather than full sale just, like, reliance and trust on everyone around her that I would more Mm -hmm. so attribute to a Hufflepuff. I would say that she is a Hufflepuff because similar reasons. I think that's where the, the blurriness comes in between a Hufflepuff and a Ravenclaw where, like, yeah, she is, like, getting her ducks in order and everything, but she's also trusting her friends and she's not inquiring further i feel like a ravenclaw would just want to like know more and like she does question it but like not to a point where like she's pushing anyone she's just kind of like okay well like clearly no one's gonna tell me anything else that's fine whatever i'll find out later i hope and kind of just moves on um Mm -hmm. and hopes that everyone's just having a good time (laughs) um (laughs) and like i don't know it just felt like when she gets brought into the order, she, this is almost like Gryffindor, like, she's very brave, like, she, she trusts, you know, again, that her best friend, Evelyn, is telling her things that aren't gonna hurt her. Like, I think it would be very scary to go into a place that, like, surrounded by a bunch of people who are telling you, by the way, you're carrying this descendant of a great man. (laughs) And she's like, okay, like, I'm gonna deal with it. And, like, that to me just seems very Hufflepuffy because, like, she trusted Colin, she trusted Evelyn, so she's gonna trust the Order to keep her safe and, like, hope that everything's gonna be fine. And never, like, questions anything, I guess, too, too much. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, I... She can be a Ravenpuff. 
Yeah, I think that would be a good good house for her, Ravenpuff. <laughs> well, because, like, that's, I mean, when we do secondary houses and, like, hybrid houses, I'm always a Ravenpuff. So, like, I think I relate to Sally a lot. <laughs> yeah. Where it's, like, you still get a lot of that empathy that you don't get with every Ravenclaw. Um, but the predominance slightly leans a little bit towards Ravenclaw. Like, that's how I see her, basically. Um, but I agree with all the points that you made. Enid. Ravenclaw, to me. Because she is so put together. She's just, like, taking in all... She's like you. She's like, okay, I'm going to make a list, and we're going to do it like this, and we're going to go here, and we're going to be here, and we're going to do this, and then you're going to go here. And, like, when they find... Um, when they find the three of them at the Glastonbury Festival, she's like, we're at the festival, like, and now we're gonna go home, or we, we already have Ruth in the car, like, she can't figure out her magic, and we're gonna go do this, like, it was just, like, she's such a, like, cadet, she's like, we're gonna just get this all done, and we're not gonna worry about everything, and the only time we really see her break down is when she's, um, with whatever his name is, the other Order member, who she apparently has something with, um, that's the only time that she ever shows any sort of, like, worry you know mm-hmm. every other like all the other times that we see her she's just very like factual and going to do everything by the book and do it yeah. because she needs to like redeem herself for everything that happened with karen and yeah well and even when she goes and tells the cops everything with karen like she yeah. is putting herself in danger but she's like logically i understand this is the right thing to do because like exactly. i did the wrong thing previously and i need to atone for that one thing and i'm not doing it because like I feel this great sense of like need it's just my brain is telling me that is the right thing to do and I'm also going to figure out a solution so I don't go to jail and I'll still be here for my kid like she still puts in place those contingency plans I'm assuming so that she's gonna be scots free um I agree with Ravenclaw for her Gareth Gryffindor interesting i was gonna say hufflepuff oh i just like he seems very like chad to me like very like (laughs) like a bodyguard figure like no fear we're gonna do this because it's the right thing to do and i'm gonna take care of everything don't you worry about it like that's i don't know that's just it for me so the reason i say hufflepuff is I think the difference is going back to that ounce of, like, fairness in determining what is the right thing to do. Um, So, Gryffindors are very brave, but I would not say that a lot of Gryffindors... Let me rephrase this. A lot of Gryffindors are not (laughs) leaders. They may be very brave, but that doesn't mean that they are leaders and that they make decisions very well. Um, And... Gareth explicitly ignores the directions and instructions that he's been given from Karen over the years. See, to me, that's brave. That's why I would say it's Gryffindor, but interesting. So, to me, that's fair. Like, he's actually Mm -hmm. weighing all of the pros and cons of the decisions that he's making and thinking about, like, what is the fair thing to do in a particular situation. Like, taking into consideration everything that Karen is saying, balancing the scales, taking into consideration the innocence of the peoples that he's being asked to assassinate, and, like, making the decision that, A, he can live with, B, 
but that also feels like the right and fair and just decision for him to make. And that sort of like balancing of the scales Lady Justice with the blindfold on kind of thing has always been very Hufflepuff to me because like I think Gryffindors, you know, 95% of the time they'll make whatever the right decision is at the end of the day, but they're rushing into that decision rather than like taking the time to weigh all of the considerations. And I think Hufflepuffs actually do that because they're patient. They take their time to like think through their options. So. Also just shows you how like divergent was corrected this way you can't box people into one category it's no. so hard because he really does encompass like a lot of different traits mm-hmm. from all of these different houses as to like everyone else <laughs> exactly so yep yeah, uh more interesting ghana is staying a slytherin yeah 100 percent. i don't think we need to we don't need to talk about it <laughs> don't need to change that <laughs> ruth Ah, she really disappointed me. Um, I don't know. I am tempted to say Slytherin because I feel like the way that she went about things just felt so, like, sneaky and, like, mean and manipulative and just, like, very, like, all of the really bad traits of Slytherin when you think of a Slytherin. Like, nothing was for the greater good of anyone but herself. And her family. Um, it was for the family. greater good of herself and her exactly. family. And Slytherin, we've talked about this on, on past episodes, but, like, loyalty is different depending mm-hmm. on which house you're looking at. And for Slytherins, it's that famili- familial bloodline loyalty is where loyalty yeah. comes into play. Exactly. I I would agree that we can put her in Slytherin in this <laughs> go-around. Our baby girl... Evelyn. What do you think? She's still a Ravenclaw. Yeah, I agree. (laughs) I think this one, like, with her, like, spitting science facts, like, girl. She's like, okay, I'm going to figure out my magic. I'm going to move my hands this way, and I'm going (laughs) So in-depth, too. I was like, okay. I got bored, honestly, partway through. I was like, I don't want to sit here listening to you, like, think about, like, oh, like, the human blood could boil. <laughs> I don't. It's just, just like this leaf. The leaf. I could decay the leaf. <laughs> I'll freeze it, and then the nymphs get mad, and she's like, "Okay, I'll unfreeze it." Sorry, I was dying her entire magic practice scene. Like, God, it was so good and it was kind of also one of those things in this book where she kind of like woke up and finally realized that like she's capable and then she was just like yeah oh cool i have a skill set i'll use that great i need that moment (laughs) not like bragging about her skill set even even just her fighting right like her fighting and her magic she's like i have this skill set i'm gonna use this skill (laughs) set she's not bragging about it she's not like trying to teach other people how to do it. She's not trying to use it for some greater purpose. She's just like, yep, let's get better at this. We. Oh, boy. Evelyn, I'm so glad you figured things out. My little Ravenclaw baby. Okay, this one might be kind of hard, but Nimue. Oh, that is hard. Hmm. I think she's a Hufflepuff. She's just, like, when she's talking about um, not being able to go back into Avalon because 
Morgana knew that the creatures of Avalon were really important to her, so she would just continually kill them every time that she came back into Avalon. That just gives me very, like, worried. Like, she doesn't know the nymphs personally, but she knows that they're creatures part of the world that she belongs in, so Mm -hmm. she's very, like, worried about that. Um, She recognizes immediately that Evelyn is somebody important as part of, like, you know, a descendant or whatever. Um, as soon as she knocks on the door and just, like, trusts her immediately. It's like, come in, come in. Like, <laughs> this woman who is thousands you of years eyes. old. You have eyes. You have eyes like mine. Great. <laughs> come in. Yeah. Uh, it gave, She kind of gave me very Professor Trelawney vibes there. Oh, but. I... Well, Professor Trelawney is a Ravenclaw. Um, oh, interesting. I didn't know that. She was giving me Newt's Commander vibes. <gasps> that's even better. I like that. That's a yeah. better re- relation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, great. I agree with Hufflepuff for everything you just said. 100%. Uh, okay. Detective Parker. Adam Parker. I, he seems like such a himbo to me. I don't know. <laughs> like, I don't really know a lot about him, but... He's a little Gryffindor himbo. He flirts unabashedly. Yes, exactly. He runs into danger not thinking about the consequences. Exactly. He doesn't oh really God. care to, like, learn more about what he's fighting no. for. Like, the whole radio thing where they're like, there's somebody in the subway, and he's like, where? I got this. He like, doesn't <laughs> ask for more information. I was like, okay. <laughs> Himbo's great description. Yeah, Gryffindor's easy. Okay, and then last but not least, but maybe least, Judith. I... I think Slytherin. Yeah, okay. Thank God, me too. I, like, wasn't sure, like, Slytherin or Ravenclaw, but I think she leans more Slytherin. She seems too, like shifty to be it's the self-preservation for me yeah (laughs) that's it i think that's all we need to say okay so in terms of comparison to last time for the characters that we had overlap on so well so recap quickly this time we sorted jared into gryffindor colin into hufflepuff sally is like a raven puff so ravenclaw hufflepuff split Enid into Ravenclaw, Gareth as a Hufflepuff-Gryffindor split, Morgana into Slytherin, Ruth into Slytherin, Evelyn into Ravenclaw, Nimue into Hufflepuff, Detective Parker into Gryffindor, and Judith into Slytherin. Um, so the last three were not in our original ranking, because those are all pretty new characters for us this book. But This is a pretty good, like, Pretty decent balanced. split. Yeah. Yeah. So, fun fact. Last time... We had Jared and Colin switched. So last, in the first book, we had Jared as a Hufflepuff, Colin as a Gryffindor. Interesting. So they've... Two sides of the same coin. (laughs) Yeah, they've they've switched. Um, Sally, we originally had as a Ravenclaw. Hmm. So she's still partially that, but she got a little Hufflepuffy this time. You know, pregnancy hormones can do that to a person. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Enid, we originally had as a Ravenclaw. So, Grace, stay in the same there. Morgana, we originally had as a Slytherin. Stay in <laughs> the same there. Ruth, I think, is the biggest change. We originally originally had her as a Hufflepuff. Oh, Ruth. But that's because we didn't know she was this evil mastermind 
plan thing, trying to save her daughter and making bad decisions. We were rooting for you, Ruth. We were all rooting for you. <laughs> and then Evelyn, we originally had as a Ravenclaw. So, we stayed pretty consistent. It was pretty good, yeah. Little bit of change-ups here and there where we had the characters kind of completely devolve, but otherwise we're pretty good. Um, okay. Officially, last but not least, MVPs for the book. You go first. It's your book. Oh, now you go first. All right. Um, (laughs) I think we can say, though, because, like, I don't know about you, I wrote down an MVP for each chapter, um, oh, because I did not do that. I'm a, it was, like, mostly Evelyn, so I didn't uh, do that. R- right. Well, that's it, because, like, because it was mostly Evelyn. Um, so I 100% wrote this down. I just need to... I don't remember where I... I think I wrote it on my laptop, which is over there. Um, but Evelyn was most of them. And then... So I would say my overall book MVP would be Evelyn, which I'm assuming yours is also too. Yeah. Yeah, because she... she <laughs> There's like very few other people to choose from. <laughs> That's accurate. Um, yeah, I think she did a really good job of like standing up for herself, just like making... She was the only compelling character really throughout the book. Um, and I actually really liked her character arc and, like, how much she grew from the first book. It was just really intriguing to be in her journey in a way that felt interesting. Because the first book, her journey was not that interesting. And I was more interested in what Jared was doing. Um, some notable other MVPs that were not main characters. Because I just, like, could not pick Evelyn in certain chapters. Um... Chapter six, Avalon was my MVP. <laughs> Chapter Old seven, character. the the bar guest that saved her, mm-hmm. MVP. Uh, Chapter 18, the maid who defied Judith and made her that omelet when she didn't want the food that was put in front of her. A plus effort. Um, and then chapter 22... The dragon that forged the dagger and Excalibur. <laughs> you got creative. Some, some of some of my honorable mentions, one might say, outside of Evelyn. Everyone else was the main character that I picked for the most part, but those are some of the fun ones. Hmm. I feel like my second one would be Enid. Yeah. Because I feel like she kind of kept a lot of things together when things could have easily fallen apart and she really took the lead. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah. <laughs> I would also say, like, you know, my s- go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. I was gonna say my secondary would probably be Gareth, because like yeah. he actually died, a really. I mean, shitty death, but an honorable death in a way. A very fast death. <laughs> and he was always there to support her when she needed it. Was always sure. there to pick up the team with whatever they needed done, and. He did everything he could to, like, protect her family as much as he could and also protect Ruth's family as much as he could. Granted, that made some very bad plot things happen, but he did everything he possibly could to, like, keep everyone safe. Um, And he's the reason that a lot of this stuff even happened. So, 
That is true. He is a big plot device. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, so hope you guys did not read the revealed to follow this discussion. I mean, read at your own risk. It wasn't that bad. It just was not good. Yeah. <laughs> is that a fair description? Yeah. It we got really, through it. It, it reads really fine. quickly. Like, it only took me, even with taking notes, it probably only took me a total of, like, three and a half, four hours to read. Um, The Kindle thing said it took about five hours, and I would say it was a little bit less than that. Yeah. So, I it went, uh, it's a pretty quick read if you just want to, like, wrap up the story. And I still think that The Concealed is worth reading. Like, I think it's a good book. Is it the best book I've ever read? God, no. But it's a good book. <laughs> Um, it's always fun to, like, retellings, basically, or, like, yeah. descendants of major figures. That's and I fun. always like reading things in translation. Like, it, it gives us a little bit of exposure to something that we're not used to since most book literature is, like, U.S.-centric and U.S.-focused. So it's nice to read yeah. something in translation every once in a while, even if it is a random YA story. <laughs> even if they switched Celsius to Fahrenheit. <laughs> so dumb but unnecessarily oh god well the unnecessary is part of our podcast name so true there you go uh 10 out of 10 by the way for my whining rating for this book because they all yeah. were just, oh, <laughs> so in their feelings um okay well that's it for this time we will see you again in two weeks when we publish our next episode uh which will be our reading of the wicked king by holly black and we'll do another episode like this where we kind of go through everything of the whole book at once and i'm much more excited to read that book than i was to read the revealed because i do think that will be a good <laughs> book i'm really excited to get back to jude and Carden. cannot wait but if you want to follow along with our journey, uh, you can follow us on social media um, on Instagram and Facebook at Unnecessary Angst Pod, on Twitter at Unangst Pod, and you can also send us an email about books that you're reading, books that we're reading, books that we've done or are going to be doing, whatever, really, uh, at unnecessaryangstpod at gmail.com. And with that, we will talk to you all in two weeks. Have a good one. Bye. Bye.